Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Drance live from the Mobile Kintech studio here at Rogers Arena on a Canucks game day. They're taking on the Ducks later tonight. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Joining us now, uh, he covers the NHL for the Athletic, one of our favorites. He is Sean Gentelli. Sean, what's going on, man? Boys, how we doing? We're doing well. So, look, there's a lot going on in the NHL, but before we get to that, you had the chance for the first time in a while this weekend to watch a Steelers offense without (laughs) Matt Canada involved. What, what, What was that like for you? Just take us through the emotional journey of that for you i i don't think i've ever gotten as many simultaneous texts about the steelers (laughs) as i did when first offensive snap of that game it was like a 22 yard pass down the middle which is like that shows you how bad things got here and how screwed up the play calling was where it was like oh my god they're throwing the ball down the middle holy cow like need to need to like sound the alarms it was wild they looked they looked vaguely like like vaguely like a competent nfl team i'm not used to that that's a rave review right there vaguely like a competent <laughs> nfl team but hey they weren't doing that before so that's something um, all right. Well, we're all very happy for you here. Obviously, you were the first person I thought of when uh, when I saw the news that he was getting let go. So, look, um, as I said, lots happening around the NHL and the news today that the uh, Chicago Blackhawks uh, putting Corey Perry on unconditional waivers uh, to terminate his contract, saying that uh, they determined he's engaged in conduct that is unacceptable in violation of both the terms of his standard players contract and the Blackhawks internal policies intended to promote professional and safe work environments. And I think, look, anytime you have a player with Corey Perry's resume, who is still, you know, productive this season, and and he's involved in a situation like this, it's a story. Is the bigger story here, though, how poorly the Blackhawks have managed this and how poorly they've communicated about what what is happening here? I think that's definitely part of it. And it was funny, you know, you mentioned Corey Perry, at least at the start of the season, was – some kind of story, right? Like he's a former MVP, he's a high-profile player, he's playing with Bedard, he's getting the... I mean, we've seen this with Corey Perry over the last few years. He segued into the, you know, veteran uh, leadership, you know, sort of glue guy portion of his career, or, or so it seems. So that was, you know, kind of... I felt like that was the tone of a lot of the... You know, when you see when you would hear Corey Perry's name come up, whether it was during broadcast or if it was in stories, it was like, all right, look at this guy. He's like he's like moved into the old sage version or of, of himself. You know, right, at least relative to where he was. So uh, that gets blown up by by what, whatever's whatever's gone on there over the last few days. But yeah, absolutely, it's a level of there is a level of mismanagement with the Blackhawks. Um, I think today's move in just waving him and, and terminating his contract, I think that at least is some kind of salvo job from them, right? Where for mm. as badly as they handled it over the first couple of days, you know, you, they're, they're, short, the, they're rolling Luke Richardson out there, short on answers, you know, on, on and on and on. You know, the fact that uh, they did take some decisive, pretty clear 
uh, move today. And I think also the, the way that it was phrased, I, I think, I think you can, you know, give them, give them a point or two now after, you know, certainly seeming like they were going to mishandle another, another pretty serious situation there a, a few days back. Yeah. Does, does, when you have the, when you're that scant on details, right. When, when you lack transparency mm-hmm. to that extent, do you create a vacuum in your view in which like the most malicious possible rumor is most likely Absolutely. to yeah. So right. I, I just like, don't understand why we didn't get this all, released two forty eight hours ago. Like yeah, we're internally we've investigating. We've all, you know? hmm And everyone's you know, you, you said it, dude. Like we've seen the everyone's seen the rumors. We've had people fill in the gaps when there are gaps that exist in a situation like this. And sometimes it's stuff that's you know, whether it's worse than the truth, whether it's more salacious than the, than the truth, like wh- whatever. Or, or whether it actually is the truth, like like people are the, that level of speculation when there is that kind of uh, information gap. Yeah, it does damage absolutely. So yeah. so they're they're on the defensive now. They they will be for a while, you know. And and it's a, you just would think. And I, I'm not even bringing like whatever. We don't need to talk about the Blackhawks specifically because God knows their yep. you know organizational history with this thing is just disgraceful on on a whole other level. But it's something that we've seen I think from from a lot of NHL teams when it comes to stuff like this. So even over the last couple of years, right, where there's there is those few there's those few days after it happens where you know people can connect the dots in kind of a destructive way, and I think that's what we, that's what we saw, you know, with the Perry situation initially for sure. Let's uh, let's change gears and talk. Patrick Kane signs a one-year deal with the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, not a long history of players coming back from hip resurfacing mm-hmm. and having a ton of success, but what do you think about the fit for Detroit? What do you think about the probability that we see some cane magic here uh, over the balance of this season? You know, I'm trying to talk to people right now, actually, for like a hip resurfacing story, right? Because it is, it's a, it's one of those surgeries that, you know, things have changed so much over the last 10 or 15 years, right? Where rehab times are so much shorter there's advanced advancements in sports medicine, whatever. And it's a cliche thing to say, but it's true. You know, there's stuff that happens to players now that would be devastating on a, on a, on a different level, even if it were five or 10 years ago, I think the hip resurfacing thing doesn't really fall into that, into that category. It's still mm. one you hear and you're like, uh Oh, that sounds bad. And we've seen it with Nicholas Backstrom. We've seen it with Carl Haglin. Like it's not just Ed Jovanovsky. Like there's a whole lot of players who've, you know, dealt with this particular procedure and not, you know, if, if they've, if they've made a comeback, it's been short. Right. So I think that on some level, you know, the cards are stacked against Kane because, because it is a serious thing. We've yet to see anybody come back for any real protracted amount of time. But so with that said, and, and you have that kind of cloud hanging over, hanging over this deal, I think uh, $2 million for, for that guy, you know, just, just to see if he can, give you something in, in the middle, whatever. What if he's like, what if he comes back and he meshes perfectly with the brink again? That's, that, that's a weapon. What if he right. is, you know, what if he's a, a, a high, a high end power play component again? That's, that's, you know, that, that'd be something else for them too. And then, and you can, you know, all that's mitigated by the salary. If he comes back and he's still a complete zero defensively and he, and, and he's not, you know, he's not pushing pace at five on five. And if he's, if the hip injury is, is clearly not working, then whatever you say, nice job. We tried, 
And if and if it works out, you've got a really good player for for two million dollars. I I don't I don't see any problem with it at all. Are you buying Detroit as a as a legitimate playoff team oh, this year? Man. I mean, they've added a ton of veterans over the last couple of off seasons, and now they're going out obviously and and rolling the dice a little bit on Patrick Kane. The results have been there so far. Are you buying that they've taken this uh, this step forward this season? So they were like way in over their heads. I think they're I, well. That's probably not the right right term to use. They were shooting. They had some crazy team wide shooting percentage. The power play was just out of control, unsustainably good at the, at the start of the season. So I was like, you know, yeah, they got it to that fast start, but I was in the mindset like, all right, let's wait and see what happens. And then we saw a dip, but then, but then after the dip, they kind of bounced back, right? Like this is, this is a, this is a decent group of forwards and, and there are interesting, you know, young components like, like Lucas Raymond and whatever, like he's, he seems like he's rebounded after kind of a crummy, a crummy uh, second season there. So uh, it, it's fun. They're better than I thought they would be. I think they had a lot of, you know, question marks coming into the season, you know, and I, I think it, you just look at the way things have gone in the Atlantic division. And it's like one of those teams is going to have to level up, <laughs> like whether it's at least, at least one, whether it's them, whether it's the Sens, whether the Sabres get it together or, or whatever. There is like, there is a, there is a space you know, in, in the wild card race when it comes to that division. And I, I give them credit for going out and trying to seize it because yeah, they got, they have a lot of veterans and they have a kind of a, kind of an interesting roster. So yeah, I, I think Kane will fit in well there and makes them more interesting if, if nothing else. And that's really all, I think that's all most of us care about, right? You get a, get an interesting storyline in a, in a, in a team that was already kind of fun to watch, got a little bit more fun. I can't complain about it all that much. Sean, I, I was working through this, mentally like basically negotiating with myself on the radio on Friday mm-hmm. where I was saying I was looking at the underlying profile on the Canucks and one thing I noticed was that it's awfully similar to that of the Boston Bruins and then mm-hmm. the question from that stemming from that is so am I too low on the Canucks or or was or are we giving the Bruins too much credit for the fact that they just keep coming like they're the T1000 basically right mm-hmm. and no matter what damage they take they're they're still walking slowly toward you uh, like a horror movie and like i wonder i you know and, and uh, to note like i want to note that i was saying this on friday before the loss to the rangers before the loss to the blue jackets but uh, you know maybe maybe they aren't necessarily just going to keep defying gravity like maybe this team's i mean they're they're off to a good enough start that they're probably a playoff team but maybe they're more more vulnerable than we think what, what what's your take yeah, I think about the dialogue surrounding that team for the bulk of the off season, right? And even at the start of the regular season, everyone's like, "All right, you know, they're going to take a step back. How do you rebound after losing Patrice Bergeron and to a lesser extent David Krejci and Taylor Hall and Tyler Bertuzzi and all these you know, and Dmitry Orlov? That whole like loaded for bear lineup that they put together." For last season, understand it like for all, all the right reasons. Like you go go for it when the roster's that that good, but it didn't work out. And then every then a whole bunch of them left town. So I think people came into the season almost sleeping on them a, a little bit too much because of what they lost. Even though they lost all those guys, that's still the bones of of a pretty of a pretty good roster. 
And then with the with the fast start, I feel like it was an overcorrection. Like people were like, "Okay, wait, we screwed up. Never mind. This seems this, this yeah. seems really good. They're, they're really good. they're this, they're that." Without really, you know, it's a blend of the two, right? Like it's like people who underestimated them at the maybe coming into the season are correct, and people who overestimated them, you know, at, at, at the start are correct too. You just add them together and divide it by two, and you know, then you probably you, you probably you probably get the truth, right? They're they're not as bad as some people thought, and they're certainly not as good as it seemed like when they were, you know, eleven zero and one or or whatever the record was to start there. Uh, the wildfire Dean Evason yesterday. They're going to bring in John Hines to replace him. What do you make of the decision to move on from the coach when you consider one how poor the goaltending has been there, and two how much of their salary cap is still being used on these Suter and Parise buyouts? a great question I, I think the it's tough for me to look at that team th- and not do it through the lens of the Parisian suitor buyouts like that's mm-hmm. always I feel like that just colors every bit of you know analysis that I do of, of that roster but man I, I don't I that's like a, that's a classic you know you can't fire the players you can't fire the goalies Edison was in his fifth season there I, I it's hard to believe that he was there as, as long as he was you just say like, all right, we got to do something because this is getting away from us, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't. I think the issue, honestly, is like, and John Hines makes sense in some level. Bill Guerin worked with him, you know, in in Pittsburgh way back when. But it's just like that's such a an uninspiring hire to to replace Dean Evison, right? It's like that's 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 your that's the button you're pushing. You're firing the coach and then bringing in a guy who got fired last season and then. Again, a couple of years before that, it's classic, classic coach carousel stuff. But I don't know. I, that just seems like that seems like they didn't know what else to do, and you know, looked at a season that was about to slip away from them. I, I don't. I don't think I totally blame Garen for 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 making the move, even though you know the goaltending was horrible, and that's reasons one, two, and three why we're having this discussion right now. Yeah, I, I totally understand the idea of like, hey, the season's getting away from us. We have to make a move. I mean, obviously, that's what Edmund did, Edmonton did with uh, Jay Woodcroft as well. It's just funny to me because, you know, in Edmonton's situation, hey, how many years of prime McDavid and Dreisaitl are you going to have? You have to strike while the iron is hot. But, you know, Minnesota made an organi- organizational decision to put themselves in this position with the Parise and Suter mm-hmm. buyouts. And I think part of that, when you go into that decision, you have to recognize that, hey, we're going to be at a severe disadvantage here. There might be some seasons that get away from us. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like almost totally. it should be built in that you have this expectation rather than, oh, man, we have to chase this season by making a coaching move when the season might already be lost. And also that, you know, that they're going to be pl- they're going to be at a disadvantage and everyone knows what it is. Like, mm. with all this, with, with all the cap stuff, we just know they're not going to have any depth down the middle. Like, that's just it. That's the way their roster is constructed. It feels like it's almost always the way it's been constructed, even before they were in in cap hell here. They just don't have enough centers organizationally, and they don't have the money to go out and get them. And if Marco, like they need Marco Rossi to be, you know, we'll say we'll say a first or second line center in, in the NHL. Like there's a lot of pressure on on that kid because they don't have any other options because of their cap situation, right? So we, you know, you do kind of internalize that about that team. You say like. All right, they're going to try to make do with Ryan Hart with the Ryan Hartmans of the world and and whoever else playing down the middle. But that's just not that's not a contending team's depth chart at center. That's just not that's just not going to work. 
the funny thing is, I think is that then the goal. So that's that's been true. That's still true. And then the goaltending comes out, and it's worse than anybody could could have imagined, right? And that was something that people didn't anticipate. So I, it's like there's some variables like floating around there, like that. But man, it it is. I it's that is not it's not a top tier Western Conference team. It was never going to be. So there is like a level of you know what's going on here, right? Like like what were the expectations? But like I said, ultimately I do I do kind of understand the move. Sean, let's talk Pacific. How scary are the Kings? Are we talking about a real cup contender here now? I are you guys buying Cam Talbot? Like, where, where are we on that? <laughs> I, I, I'm is buying. He gonna, is he going to keep? Is he going to keep this up for six more months? I'm buying that. I don't know anything about goaltending. Uh huh. Like that's more that's than anything like, what I'm buying regarding Cam Talbot. I feel like there's a half dozen cases every year where it's like. I goaltending is voodoo is, is corny and cliche and so, so played out, but the sentiment is correct. Like we just don't know what we're watching no. <laughs> season, season to season, month to month, game to game. So the fact that, you know, Cam Talbot is the dude that it seems like is helping this team elevate from, you know, a solid playoff team to a legitimate high end contender <laughs> Pacific and in the West is just it's 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 wild to me. The the thing is, right, is it's like the difference between a star goalie and an AHL guy who's clearing waivers is like thirteen extra saves over every thousand shots. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's no way we can know what we're talking about. I mean, it's and it's uh, you do it by we're seeing it more and more where it's like a lot of teams have some version of Cam Talbot and Phoenix Copley as their two goaltenders, right? right. Like it's sort of. It's sort of like Vegas light after yes. after last season where you're like, all right, we're going to have it's a zero bunch of goalie. guys who are... Yeah, it's like fantasy totally. football. It's zero goalie. We're, they're <laughs> streaming goaltenders. Like they're doing... It's the, it's the equivalent of me of me in, in the athletic league where I'm just like, is, uh, is Elvis Merzlikin starting today? I think, I, think I, I think I need to start. But they're, but they're doing that in real life. It's, it's, it's wild and it's paying off for now. I just, I don't know. I'm, it's tough for me to sign off on it moving forward. But I will say, like, I love the rest of that team. Mm-hmm. The goaltending makes me nervous. But I think as a group of skaters, they're they're really interesting and really fun to watch. So, yeah, if they do get, you know, consistent, God, like, forget what Kemp, what he's done so far. If, if he can just be, like, a solid B over the course of the rest of the season, I think they're going to be they're going to be in the mix, you know, as, as long as they're playing games. Let's uh, let's do it. Let's uh, let's do Pacific Division tiers from the East Coast. Well, your your view of the Pacific tiered, Sean. Give me your tiers, buddy. Oh, dude, you're killing me here. I I feel like I feel like every every week every week we do this. I just like I do like cop outs at the top where I'm like I think there's a I think there's a couple a, a couple pretty good ones. <laughs> um, all right, so let's, we love to hear you cop here. out. That's why we do it. <laughs> the big question this week is where to put is where to put Vegas. They've been right, yeah, been rough. Like, are they? I think you could have easily, even as, as recently as two weeks ago, put them in a group by Alone. themselves at the top. Yeah, agreed. I don't think they're there anymore. Right? Me I just, I just, I can't, I can't put them there. No. So the question is, do we have, do we have a three-team top tier? I don't think so. I think we have a one-team top tier, and I think it's LA. 
I think it, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. Yeah. I think I'm with you. I'm taking LA of, over Vegas because there's stuff going under the, under the hood with Vegas that I don't. It doesn't look too great to me either, honestly. Yep. Like, you know, whatever. Good credit for the great start. They'll they'll figure it out. But right now, they they're not playing their best hockey. So yeah, man. I think let's go let's go all in on on the Kings. I'll put the Canucks in in there with Vegas mm. in tier two. I just cannot and I cannot sign off on anything that's going on with Calgary. They drive me insane on a, on a nice night basis, even though they're. Even though they're five, three, and two, so That's on tier Conroy three, <laughs> totally. On tier three, honest to God, I think I'm putting the Kraken by themselves, and then I'll put I'll put I'll put Calgary and Anaheim and Edmonton together wow. in a group towards the bottom, and then. So, you, so you're not buying Dark the Oilers' out. glow up. I've I made the mistake of doing that a couple weeks ago, and they went back, <laughs> but they went back in the tank. I'm not. I'm not getting fooled again on this, man. I, I can't. I can't do it. They need to string together wins before I'm willing to uh, rank them. You know, optimistically in, in any kind of exercise like this. I've been burned too many times. So let and me. Then, let me, you know, let, I'll, let me give you this, and then just get your reaction. Mm-hmm. Edmonton Oilers minus 180 to make the playoffs, favored to make the playoffs uh, by the sports books, plus 150 to miss. So plus money and a bit. On them to miss. Vancouver Canucks minus three fifty to make the playoffs, uh plus okay. two six five to miss. So I mean, the Canucks have longer odds of, of missing, but like that's close. That's close according to the sports books today. It's closer than it should be. That's just right? that's like people like betting people like betting on McDavid. So yep. so the odds are like that, right? Like that just yep. feels like Yep. That feels like it's what we're talking about here. And I'm I'm not am I am I out on them making the playoffs? I'm like, absolutely not. Because look at the wild card standings. Like the top two teams are the Blues and Calgary, and I think both those teams stink. Right? Yep. So like so so something's gonna have to move here. I just can't I can't sign off on it until I see <laughs> like like as seven good games in a row from, yeah, like from the Oilers. At least if they can put that life. together, then I'll then I'll be like, fine. Okay. Yeah. Sean, appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk again soon. All right, boys. Good talk. That is Sean Gentili from The Athletic. Uh, Always a pleasure to have him on the show. And, okay, we got to go to break here. We're going to play Rick Tockett uh, on the other side. I do, and I can't believe that I have to say this, but we we mentioned the Corey Perry story off the bat there uh, with Sean. To all the people texting in, Asking if we are going to comment on some of the specific rumors about Corey Perry. We are obviously not going to do that. And again, I cannot believe that I have to say that and spell that out. But obviously, we are not going to report on wild, unsubstantiated rumors from social media on the show, on our broadcast. Seemingly malicious ones. Yes. So So, I'm out. You can stop texting in about that. I don't even want want to address it like this. But yes, we are not going to bring those up. We touched on it. We said he was waived. That's it. That's all we're going to get into on the show. Okay. With that out of the way, we'll take a break. Uh, Rick Tockett, audio on a game day. Up next here on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Grant's here live from the mobile Kintech studio. Kintech footwear and orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. And, of course, we are here at Rogers Arena because the Canucks are uh, getting set to play the Anaheim Ducks tonight here. And, uh, as always, of course, uh, lengthy chat between Rick Tockett and the media earlier today. Oh, before we hear from Rick Tockett, I should mention uh, the Whiteboard podcast now out. You can go, you can find it. Uh, we remember we're doing the Whiteboard every day in our first segment, a standalone podcast to get you caught up on everything you need to know about the Canucks. So make sure you check that out on the Canucks Talk feed. Would you say that you, it will catch you up on um, what's up yes. around the Canucks? Would you say that? <laughs> I would absolutely. I would absolutely say um, that. <laughs> and uh, just want to caption a few things because this talk at audio is so long that on the other side we might be a little bit limited in what we can get to. But really fascinating answer uh, among among the things that Rick Tockett discusses today that I think might be of interest to people because it certainly was of interest to me. He talked about putting Connor Garland on the third line and, and the logic – of him being on a line where he's sort of the primary puck handler at length. I think this is stuff we know. Like, I think that's not a surprise to us. But hearing Tockett explicitly discuss his logic for it, I thought was absolutely scintillating. So enjoy. There's a, there's a lot of meat on this bone. As always, a pleasure to hear from Rick Tockett. Here he is from earlier today talking to the Canucks media. Yeah, I think uh, five-on-five play, I think there's some offensive stuff we could do a little bit better. We talked about that yesterday and today, um, the morning of getting to the net a little quicker, uh, getting our shots through. I think San Jose blocked a ton of shots. I think our D can move their feet a little bit. Um, you know, but obviously, Huggy's unreal and ironic. We got to get the other D to move their feet a little bit to create sh- uh, sh- shot lanes, but also get people in front. I-, I felt we got away from the net last game, last couple, actually, last five games. You know, some games good, some games not so much. Uh, you've got options on the back end. Yeah. Uh, you've got some healthy bodies here. What are you doing tonight on defense? Uh, I'm going to put Cole in tonight. McWard, I think he uh, want to see him, you know, get a look at him. He's a mobile guy. You know, maybe he's a guy that gets some shots through for us. Uh, he played well in camp and stuff. So and he, uh, he's done well down there. Sometimes the guys actually in the minors, they actually play better up the NHL than the minors sometimes because it's more structured. I think Cole's one of those guys, he he, he thrives in a structured environment. Um, so we'll see how he does tonight. I'm not saying Jeremy Colton's not structured. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go there. He's very structured. He's a hell of a coach. I'm lucky to have him, so let's make sure. Hey, Rick, yesterday you talked about consistency, getting that consistent effort. You're 7-1-1 yeah. one one here at home. You played you know, good hockey here. What does consistency look like for you? Well, I mean, it's hard to win, right? But to me, the consistency doing the hard things, you know, middle driving, you know, people in front, uh, being available for defense and regroups. Like, it's hard to keep doing all the time. You know, sometimes you get a little bit, not, I don't like the word lazy, you just get a little complacent and take things for granted. And I think we just got to be careful. You know, we're still... You know, we, we've had some good games in this last 10, but we've also, you know, we haven't played as well as we want, the consistency level. So to me, it's doing the hard things, 
you know, it's hard to do it 10 out of 10 times, but, you know, we, we, we need to do them 8, 9, 10 times out of, out of 10, not 4 or 5, because that's when, it, that's when things slip is when you start to get a little complacent. With the next seven games yeah. of the next eight here on home ice, is this a spot in the season where you guys can kind of realize the potential of fitting to the structure with all the extra practice time you'll have? Yeah, I mean, obviously a good home record, but I think the players thrive with the fans. I mean, they've been loud, real loud this year. Let's use them as a, as a juice for us. But also, you know, it's good to, you know, we've traveled a lot. Guys are in the hotel a lot. It's nice to, for guys to be around their family too. And I think that breeds a little bit of, you know, you know, fun and, and, and gives you a chance to see, you know, some guys have kids and it's nice. You know, you get a different feeling other than being on the road all the time. So this is a nice little break for guys to get to be at home. I, I think that's a, a nice break. But saying that, you know, you still got to come to the rink and be ready to play. I mean, you can't just be too comfortable. Uh, so, yeah. I want to ask about Sam Lafferty a little bit. It's, yeah. He was talking about fitting in with this coaching staff so well. Um, what have you just seen throughout the season that's made it been such a fit for you to be the coach of this player? Yeah, I, I think he's been a nice addition because he's a, a Swiss Army knife. I've played him in different situations, different positions. Um, I thought he was one of, like, you know, in San Jose, he was a positive. I thought he played well. I, I looked at the video. He was one of the guys that got, went to the net and was engaging. Uh, that's why I threw more than six on five there. Um, so I think for him, the versatility of playing him um, in different positions and then throwing him up in the top six role every once in a while. Um, and, um, you know, the guys love him. He's a great guy in the room. How much is that built off of him with just the pace that he plays? I think he's the fastest skater you guys have this season so far. But building off of the pace, what are the other things that you have to do on top of that? Because we see guys with speed, but there seems to have to be another tie-in for him to have success. Like, on top of speed, what is he doing well? Yeah, for, well, through the neutral zone. When he gets that puck from, from a standstill to, to separate himself, he's one of our better players. Like, he's obviously a fast player. Uh, and his willingness to get to the net. You know, a lot of his goals, uh, if you watch, are around the net. And we need those type of players. Um, you know, that's the stuff that – and now for him to be consistent away from the puck, you know, defensive – hockey IQ, things like that, that's what he's got to raise his level. Uh, and he's working on it. And, uh, you know, if he raises that level, man, he's a, he's a hell of a hockey player. couple from me, Rick. Uh, have you decided who's sitting on the back end tonight? Uh, who's sitting tonight? Uh, it'll be Friedman. Uh, okay. Cole's going in. Um, you mentioned McWard. Juleson hasn't played a lot of games at the NHL level. And when I talked to him yesterday, he really embraced the last two years in Abbotsford because he said, uh, I'm, I'm 26, I'm not 36. I'm still trying to get better. What have you seen in his time here? in terms of what he does and the potential he may have, especially, I would imagine, working with footy? Yeah, I think, when you know, I think as coaches, we use the word simplify. You guys probably, how many times you talk to a head coach or just, oh, we got to simplify, simplify. And I think for him, that's the biggest word in his vocabulary. If he can play a simple game, you know, first pass guy, as soon as he sees the first guy, give it to him um, in a cycle. You know, he's a cycle buster. Can he get in there and, pin people along the boards and hold people. Can he box out, block shots? If he does that really well, he can be a, he can be a really good NHL defenseman. So that's the, the stuff we're looking for, the consistency of that, you know, not give it, no, give it, no, no giveaways, things like that. If he can be real solid that, he's an NHL defenseman every day. Did you ever have hip surgery in your career? I'm just Never. wondering about the Patrick Kane situation yeah. today. Um, I, I guess my question would be, how hard is it to take – 
the stick away from a player, Pat's 35, he's got a one-year deal. I would imagine at the end of your career, me and knowing when it was time to leave, but it's difficult, right, for a pro athlete to I mean, you know, obviously, like, for you're right, knees, you know, knees for a go, but for me, hips and back for an NHL player are tough. Those are tough surgeries to come back from, you know, um, because, you know, the, the hockey's such a skating game, and, uh, I mean, you can say knees the same thing, but it seems like guys bounce back from knees a little bit better, but hips and backs are really tough to bounce back from. Guys have done it, um, but they're really hard. Brock Besser, 15 goals tied for the league lead. What's the difference in his game from when you first arrived here to what you're seeing now? Um, you know, I like his defense. You know, he's played better defensively than last year for me. Um, he's conscientious. I, I actually like it. Like, he's one of our best practice players. I, that's one of my, like, obviously the game I love about him. But I think because of his practice habits, they've translated into his game now. Um, you know, he's, you know, whatever the drill is, it just seems like the, the spots he's going to score goals, they're there. You know, there's the repetitive drills we do in practice, which he's doing them properly. Somehow in the game, he's getting those chances. You know, he's in front of the net there in San Jose. This is the power play goal. You know, um, he's going to the net more this year. Um, you know, I think his shots, he's worked on his shot this summer. Everything he's done to work on is translating. Now, now it's the consistency level is the next level. And, you know, we got to continue to stay. You know, he, 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 he's going to stay on himself, but we got to continually stay on Brock. To, to, he's raised that bar to keep it there. I mean, it sounds easy in theory, but in practice, and being a former player yourself, you know this, it's really tough sometimes to trust what you're doing in practice in a game, right? Well, he believes in it, though. Yeah. You know, that's the, you're right, the belief. He believes that if he goes to these spots or if he practices this, you know, he practices hard. You know, he practices, if the drill is to go here, he goes there and he believes in it. And that's half the battle with a player. If you believe in it, it's a powerful thing and the belief. Elias Pettersson, going through a little bit of a mini slump, yeah. you talk about process all the time. Are you happy with what you're seeing in terms of the process with Petey? Well, I'm, I'm happy the fact that he's recognizing that he's got to play better in certain situations. You know, um, you know he knows it. You know, I, 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 and I think sometimes he's reading off other people too much. I think he's just got to go. I, and I told we talked the other day, and I said, Pete, just go. You do your thing. It's our job to get other people to react off you. Sometimes he's react on F everybody. You know, it's hard sometimes. You know, he's playing defensively, and it's hard for him to be the F1 on the forecheck. You know, so those are the things that we got to correct. But, um, you know, he's just got to be more decisive, you know, play a little bit quicker through the new zone. Um, and I think when he does that, uh, you know, he's obviously a hell of a player. I mean, he still, he still contributes even when he's not on his game. That's a sign of a, of a great player. Eric, the um – Reset seems to have worked for Dakota Joshua. I know consistency is still something that he needs to work on, but generally, what have you seen in his game that's better now, has been better lately than what it was earlier? Well, he's moving his feet. You know, when he struggles, it, it, I call it that half second. You know, it takes him a while. Okay, where's the puck? Okay, now I'm going to go. Now it's like he's just reacting. And you. He's been one of our better fours the last six, seven games. So that, that line's been really good. Even in San Jose, they weren't that bad. Like, as, as bad as our team didn't, you know, we were, we were not on our game. That line, they're not getting scored against. They're not getting hemmed in that much because they're having the puck on the other end. And I think Dakota deserves a lot of uh, praise in that because he's holding on to pucks. He, you know, we talk about having people on your back. Before he get it, you just throw it away. Now he's like, yeah, the guy's on my back, so what? I'm going to hold the puck. And I think he's, he's embraced that. And... I'll be quite frankly, you know, he's in the gym and he's telling the, the trainers, you know, get me out of my comfort zone, you know, let's go here. And he's been working his ass off. So, you know, he, he's doing it and it's working. So 
you know, it, it, that's the chemistry for him. You know, keep doing it. And you mentioned his line uh, yeah. with Connor Garland. In some ways, he seems like a top six player who's playing on the third line. But is your deployment of him because he can play on the third line and he can <laughs> drive a line on his on his own? That's what it seems like, and not everybody can do that. Yeah, what, what I like about Garza, even with Dakota, is Dakota can get in there, hold pucks, and then Garza is kind of a buzzsaw. You know, wherever the puck goes, he can react off and jump at it. I think that's what I like about that line. Um, you know, I think I think it's you know. Garza is a chemistry guy. You got to find the right guys to play with him. You know, you can't. You know, there's certain guys he's better with than others. Um, and I think with Teddy, um, Su- uh, uh, Pew Suter, uh, or uh, Dakota, that, that those three, four, they complement Garz because he can do his thing. You know, um, you know, it's, he can be the second guy in the forecheck, come up with loose pucks, and always being the first guy. It's tough. You know, he's a smaller guy. It's tough for him to separate the puck, but Dakota can, Teddy can. You know. Um, Puse gets in there. So I think that's a, a good chemistry for him, those type of players. So Garland might be better where he can be the guy on the puck a lot as opposed to being a complimentary player who needs to give it up the puck to others. I think so. I think Garz is a buzzsaw. Like he's a, he's a where's the puck, go get it, um, then just kind of hang around waiting to see, you know, where the puck is and try to be like, you know, like Brock's really good at finding areas and kind of being a methodical guy. I think... Garza, at his best, he can't be methodical. He's got to be, he's just got to go. Like, he's got to let him be a buzzsaw. That's why I, I, I had him in Arizona when he scored 20-something goals. That's what he did there. You know, he just, he just goes, you know. And when he starts to play a little bit thinking, game, where should I go, I think sometimes that's when he gets lost. So, um, but he's been playing well. I mean, I don't care about the points. I think he, des- he deserves more points because I think he's set up some guys, some nice plays. I think he's done a nice job. I want to ask you about Kuzmenko and just what kind of conversations or reaction have you had from him after sitting him for two games here? Uh, not much, you know. This, you know, uh, he knows, you know, he knows what he's got to do. You know, I'm, I'm actually how he plays tonight. You know, he's going to go back with Petey. Um, you know, I, I'm not looking for like you know anything different other than the fact that I'd like to see him be more a little more conscientious with the puck, but do his thing. You know, he's a creative guy. You know, hash mark down, do your thing, but defensively or. On the forecheck, you got to participate. You have to, you know, if you want to be part of a, you know, a driving line. You know, you can't sit around and wait. And that's, and you know, I don't know. It's not. It's not rocket science. I'm, you know, we keep talking about Kuzi. He knows what he's got to do. He's got to do it. That's it. Has shift length also been an issue with him? Well, he's had some tough. Yeah, but he's gotten better at certain times. But he has to understand. You know, even though he's been out there for 45 seconds and nothing's really happened, uh, you know, you still don't have energy. Like, I know he, he thinks that he's, well, I still have energy, Coach. Well, you've been out there 45, 50, you got to get off. I don't care if you have energy or not. we got to get the other line out there. And I think sometimes, he, you know, he wants to score so bad, he goes, I, if I stay out here, I'm going to get the puck again. And I think, you know, you got to get, and I keep saying it, I hate using the word playoffs because I'm not thinking of playoffs, but I'm thinking of playoff hockey. It's hard pace out there. It's 30, 35 seconds of hard pace. So we're training that now, November. We can't, we can't start acting like that in March when we're going for a playoff drive. Like this sort of stuff has to happen now. The corrective, not just Kuzi, anybody. That's the way we got to play. If we want to be a tough out in every game, you, you know, we have to play that way. Rick, on the first power play unit with Kuzmenko out, you got a lot from Philip Peronik. Yeah. Did, he, did he do enough to make it a tough decision? about 
what that unit will look like now that Kuzmenko's back? Well, their production, obviously, putting them out there, we're scoring. Um, quite frankly, he's hammering the puck. He's hit some pucks there, and some guys have blocked. I don't know, there's a couple of guys there got some sore foots today. Would you have a pre-scout right now? Aham's watching. They're worried about that shot. Like, I don't want to block that shot. So he, he's, he's willing to shoot that puck, and that's opened up the other areas of our game. you got to shoot the puck if you're going to play that side. Um, and, um, you know, I'm not saying Kuzi won't go back, but it's, it's good for a coach to have two options like that. I got Kuzmanko and I got Hironik. That's a pretty nice arsenal to have. Anecdotally, it feels like there haven't been as many against the grain opportunities for your club when you've been shorthanded this season as opposed to uh, obviously you well, guys got PK? hot. Yeah, on the PK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously you guys got hot down the stretch last year, but we saw more of it in Seattle. Um, is there anything that changed ahead of that Seattle game? Is that sort of a template of what you want the penalty? Like less to... through the, the seams, you're saying? Yeah, through all, I'm talking about you guys getting the puck and attacking down ice. Oh, you're like talking about power pressure. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm talking about the PK okay. when you're on the PK. Yeah, getting down ice pressure and against the grain chance. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it feels like you haven't had as much of that this season, but you really had it going in Seattle. Is that a template of how you want the PK to play? Yeah, I think uh, getting Teddy back has really helped. Amon has helped. Uh, when you have those type of players, we want up by pressure. You know, sometimes, you know, if I'm, you know, you got PD and Millsy, and I'm, you know, I'm playing them a lot of minutes. It's hard to play up by pressure. I feel that the personnel that's coming back, you know, I love up by pressure. It's it's got to be calculated, um, and having those two guys in the lineup, and even Dakota's done a nice job there. Or when Giuseppe was here, uh, was playing. Um, you have to have up expression. Those guys are good skaters. And I, I think our, our, our defending the blue end has been really good, to be honest with you, and uh, gives you less you know, time in your own end. But, yeah, that's, that's the – yes, we'd like to be up more pressure penalty kill for sure. Whew. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking to the media, including – Slowly uh, working out. One for your – yeah, career. I, I that might that might career have been your Hall of Fame question there at the end. That might have been my least successful question of the year. But you know what? Listening back, like I told you before. Yeah, you I, were that, like, oh boy, this is. I, I I actually told you to cut off the question before it came on, and you refused. refused which fair enough. Like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, I want to hear it. But actually, listening back, I I I didn't do that badly. We just had to work out what we were. You were talking just about. you were just missing because you set it up by against the green chances on the PK. You, the only thing you're missing is when you against the green chances for you when right. you're on the PK. Yeah, totally, that, totally. that was just the source of the confusion. Uh, yeah, I just not, meant not to. I just meant the down ice pressure. Like they scored so many shorties last year in the yeah. first thirty games, yeah. and I feel like yeah, they got one in Seattle, but we haven't seen like a consistent chance yeah. generation from the Canucks penalty. Kill. But it wasn't a disaster question in the sense of once he understood what you were talking about, totally. it like made sense. And he was like, oh yeah, I can talk about that. It was, I feel like the worst questions, and this is rich for me because I'm not, I'm never in this situation, but the worst questions are where the person is just like completely uninterested in the premise of the question. You know what I totally. mean? It's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> or, or like your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> PK hasn't been scoring. Your thoughts. What are your thoughts about it? Uh, my PK is not supposed to score. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I did joke to him afterwards. I was just like, I was just like, oh, man, I'll practice my questions for next time. We had a laugh. <laughs> like, it's not a big deal, but yeah. just took a while there. Uh, lots going on there, as, the, as there so often is from Rick Tockett, and uh, including a lot on some individual players. And I thought some interesting uh, comments about Connor Garland and why he's had success 
um, specifically with, you know, Dakota Joshua and then either Teddy Bluger or Pugh Suter on that line and basically getting to, you know, hey, Garland, he needs to have the puck in his hands to be successful. And if he's playing with JT Miller or Elias Pettersson, they're going to have the puck uh, on their stick an awful lot. And it's going to be harder for him. But, uh, you know, when you get him with four checkers like that, he can be kind of the second guy, get on that loose puck and make a play. And I thought it was interesting, even in that answer, that he compared, you know, Garland's process to Besser's process and how Besser can be kind of more methodical, slow things down, take his time to find those open spots on the ice, whereas Garland just has to get on the puck and go. Yeah. Buzzsaw. Be a buzzsaw. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I like the idea. That, I mean – it matches what we've been talking about for a long time, which like Garland's so puck dominant that it it's not the best fit with Miller and Patterson, right? And it hasn't been historically, but he's capable of driving a line in a way that you know I certainly don't know that you'd think like you. I don't think you'd get as much success in terms of underlying form, the control that that third line's had, if it's like Kuzmenko in Garland's spot. Mm. You know, like I think that's. A, a unique skill that Garland brings that I don't know that the Canucks have another winger that could do it. Well, yeah, Garland, because Besser, maybe Mikheyev. I don't. McCabe doesn't have the playmaking. I don't think. That Garland uh, yeah, has. he doesn't have the on puck sort of. Yeah, I agree with you. You know what I mean? Um, he can do some of the the buzzsaw things, I think, but I don't yes. think he can set up the plays afterwards. And. You know, Besser and Kuzmenko might be better complementary players for high skill centers like Miller and Pedersen than Garland would be. But in terms of guys who can drive their own line on the wing, Garland is probably the best bet they have at that uh, at doing that job. And I think you've seen that a little bit here with the the third line having success and getting some positive reviews there from Rick Tockett. I, I also thought it was interesting. Uh, hearing what Rick Tockett had to say about the decision to put Cole McWard in the lineup tonight and specifically referencing the offensive side of things, right? And first of all, saying, hey, I want to get a look at him, but talking about McWard's mobility. And, you know, previous to that, uh, he was talking about how five on five, he wants to see the D be a little bit more mobile on the blue line, move their feet as a way of opening up some shooting line, shooting lanes so they can get pucks through, get pucks on net. And then, of course, you got to have the traffic in there as well. But then he referenced that with McWard, right? Like, hey, he's a mobile guy. Hopefully he can get some shots through, open up some of those lanes that they've been missing at five on five recently. Yeah. Yeah. One, well, you know, that that an- answer right off the hop talking about the five on five offense, like that's really become a concern for me and, and and I worry that this team's a little too reliant you know he he's discussing going to the net quickly and may, you know we're look Rick talk it's forgotten more about hockey than I yeah. know so I, I I'm not second guessing it so much as I do worry a little bit that if you're too reliant on deflections um which come and go mm-hmm. in my view right like that's not a dependable source of offense I, I do think you need to be generating like those really high quality five alarm looks at a higher rate than this team has. That's the part of the game, you know, just like inner slot shots, um, shots with movement prior to the shot, mm-hmm. you know, even if they're from slightly above the Bowman line or slightly from outside the hash marks. Like those are the shots that I'm just not seeing the Canucks generate enough. And and for me, it, it comes down largely to a result of um, a lack of OZP. Like, other than that Garland line, which he talked about, we're just not seeing this team set up, shop, and and sort of stack those heavy shifts on top of one another. Because when you do that, like, there's a reason that shot attempts and scoring chances are so closely correlated. It's like, the more you're setting up 
time in the offensive end, the more stress you're putting on defenders, the more tired they get, the more able you are to generate those, you know, can opener type scoring chances, whether they're saved or not. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm not seeing enough of from this team, especially over the course of, you know, the second half of the 22 game slate that they've played. And it's a, I think it's one of those things that can be a fine balance. And even when he was talking about, you know, Elias Pettersson and Andre Kuzmenko, and I want to get into some of the Elias Pettersson discussion on the other side, but he says, you know, hey, from the hash marks down, do your thing and make plays. So I think he's still looking for his high-end skill guys to try to do some of what you're talking about, right? Oh, yeah. Make those special plays that get you into the high-danger areas. And then I think it's more of a case of having – a fallback option or a plan B, right? Mm. But I would also look at the the experience of the Vegas Golden Knights over the last several years, right? Where under Pete DeBoer, there was a lot of fire away, fire away from the point, right? You know, hey, we're a big, heavy team. Get in front of the net, get those deflections, get those rebounds. And under Bruce Cassidy, they changed a lot to, you know what? We're going to try to work really hard to get those high-quality opportunities. And they went from a team that, you know, tended to run into hot goalies in the playoffs because they weren't getting a lot of high-quality opportunities right. to a team that won the Stanley Cup, right? So I do think it's one of those things where, yeah, there's a lot of value to, you know, being able to to win those battles in front of the net and create those greasy goals. I completely understand that, but you it, it's a balance you have it, to have. You it, can't tilt too far in that direction. It's a hard way to live if that's – like, it's a hard way to live if that's your main source of offense. And for this Canucks team, frankly, at 5-on-5, five five, I think it has been. And I think it's, you know, partly why the bounces have gone their way is that this team's lived in dirty areas and inside their opponents. And I also think it's partly why when this team's gone dry, they've looked extraordinarily dependent on the power play. So, you yeah. know, I think you're right. A double-edged sword's probably a, a smart way of looking at it. All right, we will take a break. As mentioned, uh, Talkin had some commentary there about where Elias Pettersson's game is, while Brock Besser is playing this year. Uh, we can get into all of that, plus take some of your text. Final segment here coming up, Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance live from the Mobile Kintech Studio. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. It's the Canucks and the Ducks tonight, 7 o'clock at Rogers Arena. Of course, a full game day coverage, including the broadcast with Batch and Randeep on Sportsnet 650 later on this evening. All right. Uh, we, we heard from Rick Tockett earlier in the in the last segment there, and, you know, I thought he, he was asked directly about Elias Pettersson slumping slightly in terms of scoring production, but he was asked about, the process that he is seeing from Elias Pettersson. I do want to shout out that it was uh, Sportsnet 650 contributor uh, The Moj, Bob The Moj Marjanovic, mm-hmm. asking the question. I only bring that up because a bunch of people texted in, wait, was that The Moj? And I had the exact same experience recently listening to a post-game press. Where I was yeah. like, hey, is that The Moj in the scrum? And shout out to The Moj. Moj has a weekly Canucks column, and that's actually really good. I highly recommend it. There you go. Yeah. So shout out from The Moj, putting in the work, and got a good answer. Uh, from Rick Tockett, which was, you know, pretty upfront. Like, hey, he's got to play better in certain situations. You know, just and, and I thought it was interesting talking about you're Elias Pettersson. 
you go do Elias Pettersson things. It's up for everyone else to react around you and feed off you. You don't have to worry about what other people are doing. Just go out and be Elias Pettersson and do superstar stuff. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I thought was um, one thing. So I've been thinking a little bit about Elias Pettersson, and I know there's a lot of conjecture about the injury mm-hmm. and on and on. And you know, fundamentally, if you're in the lineup, I'm I'm. I think all we can do is judge you as if you're healthy. You know what I mean? Like I, I definitely look at sort of um, momentary depressions in an underlying profile to see if a guy's performance is like well out of line with what their, you know, career norms are and, and look for that as like a hint of, of a guy being banged up, stuff like that. But we're not really seeing that with Pedersen. You know, like his underlying form is actually not significantly different from what it's been for much of his career, frankly. And, you know, even, like, his shot profile, like, his power play shot rate, because I know it feels like he's passing up on shots, right? Mm -hmm. But his power play shot rate this season is literally identical to what it was last year. Um, His attempts are slightly down, and I think that's why we're looking at it the way we're looking at it widely in this market. Um, Feels like he's passing up shots, stuff like that, but he's getting enough on net that he's literally, like, to to the hundredth. (laughs) <laughs> has the exact same shot rate uh, on the power play as he did last season. At even strength, it's down because it was at eight last year, but it's like the eight that is different. Like it's the eight that was a career high that was by a, a long point. So, so this year, in terms of even strength shots per sixty minutes, it's at six. Last year, as you said it was eight. The year before that, it was six. The year before that, in a sh- in only 26 games in the North Division, 5.6. The lotto line season, six, just a hair over six, yeah. right? So it's in line with his career norms where it is right now. And and this is something to consider. Like, Pedersen is a guy who meaningfully drives percentages. I, I, I believe that. We've seen it consistently over the course of his career, and I think he does it both with his playmaking and with his shot. And all of that said, you know, if you go look at the three players with the highest on-ice shooting clip in the NHL dating back to the start of last season, so a sample of 100-plus games, um, you know, and, and you got to put like 750 minutes played on it, Mikheyev number one, Kuzmenko number two, mm-hmm. Pedersen number three. Well, and, the, and they're all at around 13%. That's a little high. Like, even for Pedersen, that's like overheated. You know, no, I mean, he can bend space and time. He, he can turn goalies back into – you know, the 1980s version, the, the 5'10 gentleman who smoked at intermission um, in terms of the same percentage that that they generate against the Canucks with Pedersen on the ice. But even that's like a little more than I think we would reasonably expect Pedersen's true talent on a shooting clip to be. Like, what if Pedersen's dealing with a minor injury and most of what we're seeing is like large sample regression for that line? And it is even beyond the shot rate stuff if you just look at his kind of per 60 even strength numbers a lot of them are really very much in line with what he's done previous in his career excepting last season right right? like so total now his goals are way down at even strength uh it would be a career low by a pretty significant chunk but his total points per 60 at even strength 2.45 last year it was just over three the year before it was way down 1.6 we all know how much he struggled in the first half Mm. of that season but you go back in his three previous seasons it was 2.45 2.6 2.4 so again you know it's off what he did the incredible high he established last year but still a really good number relative to the rest of the league and pretty in line with what he'd done 
uh, in his career before the last couple of seasons. And, you know, you look at it, the shot attempts that the team's getting when he's out there. Pretty similar as well. And I can – look, I think all of that is fair, and that's fair context to keep in mind. I do just think purely from a watching him shift-by-shift shift basis, he's been less dynamic. Like, he right. just, I just think he has been less dynamic, and I think it's a testament – and Rick Tockett pointed this out, that he's still finding a way to score a pretty healthy number of points at 5-on-5, five five, although not over the last uh, 9 or 10 games or so. But, you know, he's still finding a way to drive good defensive results when he's on the ice. Like, I think that's all really commendable. But I, I also just think the thing that separated him, especially last season, was that kind of game-breaking ability, especially with the puck. And I don't know that we've seen that as much this season. Yeah, and I think that's fair. But, you know, I still think he's been one of the five or ten most valuable centermen, probably top five most valuable centermen in the league. You know, and, and the level he hit last year was so unconscious. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was so dominant that, you know, it, it might have been a peak that just proves to be unsustainable. And that's, by the way, okay, that leaves the Canucks well, with the top five centermen. Oh, no. They call them career years for a reason. Right. right? Like, there's, <laughs> every player has a career year. It's not um, it's not an insult to the player. It's not, you know, an indictment of them or anything no. if they don't reach those heights again. Like, well, it happens. You have career years. And Pedersen defies conventional, like, regression analysis because, again, he drives shooting percentage. He's such an accurate shooter. He's such a good passer. He's such a creative force on the ice that – you know, we, we sort of just don't talk about him the way we talk about your average player. But, you know, I, I do think there's at least a chance that he's not significantly diminished physically as a result of an injury right now. And that some of what we're seeing with the slump is, uh, you know, regression that will not get to like your average level, but like regression from his perspective, right? Which is maybe he's going to convert at 11%. And you know what that's going to feel like if that's accurate? It's going to feel like, ah, it just doesn't look quite as dynamic and dominant. It just doesn't look like he's taking over games the way he did last year. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what it's going to look like. That's what it's going to feel like. That's why I sort of like using these numbers and looking at them. It's just as a gut check, right? The the data effectively will m- might help us understand something that our eyes can't quite. You know, that, that that's why I look at it. And I'm not saying any of this with confidence or concluding it like it's just something I've been wondering about as I've been thinking about Pedersen's form over the last you know couple weeks yeah and I I think it's it's important context but I also do wonder I I don't know like I I think at some point this year we're going to see a higher level from Elias Pedersen barring injury right you know what I mean like I don't think that he has settled into this level I'm not ready to reach that conclusion but but, but the, the level he's at like it's important to note the level he's at you know by net rating, mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. Um, goals above replacement but from evolving hockey, like by any all-in metric you prefer. Has been really good. Has been one of the top five forwards in the sport. Like, yeah. you know, you really think we're going to see a higher level than that? Than the, than the last couple of weeks. Sure. For sure. Sure. But, I mean, you know, everyone has a tough couple of weeks. The the, yeah. the full season remains extremely bullish on on what this guy is doing on a night-to-night basis, you know? Yeah, it's then, then just the question comes in, has there been a physical ailment over the last couple of weeks, or is it just, as you said, everyone yeah. has a tough couple of weeks, right? right. Like that, it's the question is, are we going to get more of this, or are we going to get a bounce back to the first part of the season? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and the whole season is going to be well, what his form looks like. And then also, you know, what, what happens if Pedersen's having some regression, okay? Mm-hmm. And Ilya Mikheyev's having some regression. 
and all of a sudden it's like, hey, you know, is Ilya Mikheyev a true talent top-line player? I think that's a fair question, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? What he did last year was spectacular, but that also was out of line with everything he's ever done in his career. Andre Kuzmenko, we only had one season of data, so we don't know what the baseline is, but we do know that everything he did in terms of finishing clips, personal, on ice, and on and on, was, like, historic and was never going to last realistically, right? So, you know, what if it's not just Pedersen, but that line regressing as a group sort of reveals that, in fact, it's not three top-line quality players, it's one elite centerman playing with sort of a middle six guy who's offensively limited and a middle six, you know, offensive specialist who is a little bit limited as a play driver. I mean, that's the other sort of conversation here, which is do the Canucks have enough at the top end of their lineup? And and again, a counterintuitive thing to say, given Quint, that Quinn Hughes has leveled up, given that I'm, I think Elias Pettersson's a top five centerman or on the fringes of that level in this league. And, and JT Miller's, you know, a beast, mm-hmm. like straight up underline it. So, you know, and, and, and even still like what this team's generating five on five sort of poses, I think, some tough questions about what the the top-end level is of this forward group. Well, I think if you look at specifically Elias Pettersson over the last couple of weeks, you know, if Nathan McKinnon has 10-game stretch where it doesn't feel like he's taking over games, well, you know who's on his line is Miko Rantanen, who can mm. take over games, right? Like, Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov in Tampa Bay. You need that other guy, right? That other guy, specifically, I think, with Elias Pettersson. Because, yeah, Miller is going to rack up a ton of points, and we know what Quinn Hughes can do. But I think specifically a running mate for Elias Pettersson who can sustain that level. Because you're right. The guy, Even the best players in the world are going to have stretches where they're not at their absolute peak. And I think when you look at some of the top teams in the league and the successful teams recently, they have somebody else who can – who can pick up their stars a little bit. They have just another high-end star at the top of the lineup like that. This is a, a very fair text to come in as well, featuring uh, everybody's favorite metric here in Vancouver now, PDO. Uh, but this texture says, PD's PDO since Ottawa is like 890. That's driving a lot of this. That's a very fair yeah, comment. Right. That's a very fair comment. He has not been getting the bounces and, over this stretch that we're talking about. And inevitably, a guy who's been rolling along at 13% for 100 games is going to have a 10-game stretch like this. Yeah. You know, like that – so that would back up what I'm saying. That Maybe a lot of what we're seeing is regression. Just the bounces. And and here's the scary thing. Like, Pedersen's like one of the only Canucks who's at what you'd consider to be like a normal PDO baseline. Everyone else is still – For the ex- whole season, not over the last – like, his yeah, yeah. has come down so much. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Which is, um, which is extraordinary because, you know, it does, I think, pose too, like some difficult questions about, hey, if Pedersen's dealing with something that this whole team might – what could it look like – in three, four weeks if the bounces all normalize for this group. Right? Like Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm I don't know. I I wonder if we're overcooking the concern about Pedersen's injury. Uh, at least that's sort of part of the conclusion that I'm led to consider. Not to not to specify as a take, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not hammering my take hammer down on this. <laughs> I'm not I'm not We need to what? get you a take hammer. I know we do. <laughs> dun, dun. Like a gavel. Yeah. Just do. Take court is in session. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not hammering the gavel down so much as I'm. I, when I look at the underlying form here, I see less evidence that like something's ailing Pedersen, and I see a little bit more evidence that hey, maybe this is 
a guy who's run extraordinarily hot, hotter than anyone else in the league five on five, you know, coming a little bit back to earth right now. Yeah. And possibly that last year was a career year, right? And again, that's there are uh, <laughs> that's not that's not necessarily a negative thing, right? Because you still can be at a very, very high level, even if last year was a career year for Elias Pettersson. And look, we're a long way away from concluding that he's not going to reach some of those same heights that we saw last season. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, You can keep getting your thoughts in here on Canucks Talk for the final few minutes of the show and uh, some interesting commentary from Rick Tockett as well talking about Brock Besser and some of the uh, you know the things he's working on in practice translating those into the game uh, talking about how Brock has raised the bar and I think this was interesting commentary for the team as a whole right like okay we're trying to raise the bar but once you once you have a little bit of run of success the challenge then is also keeping the bar there and that applies to Besser as well and you know, all of a sudden, Drance, and I know you addressed this uh, in your mailbag at The Athletic as well, but you start to look at, you know, where Brock Besser could finish, and there was all this talk about, hey, can he crack 30 goals? You start to look at some other milestones <laughs> that could be in reach for Brock Besser as well at this point in the year. Yeah, so I went through a little exercise, right? Like, if you look at Brock Besser, he's playing just over 14 minutes a game. So if he stays healthy, because that's a huge part of accumulation, mm-hmm. right? You don't accumulate. If you're not on the ice. If you're not on the ice. problematic to do so. Yeah. So if he stays healthy, 60 more games, 14 minutes a night, five on five, that's 840 minutes left. If you go look at his shot rate, which is actually lower than it was last season, it's about six goals um, or six shots per hour uh, for Brock Besser to this point in the season. Um, you know, you extrapolate that on, you'd expect him to get somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 shots over the balance of the year. Uh, go look at the power play. Uh, well, he's playing four minutes a night on the power play, and Canucks have drawn a lot, and penalties do go down a little bit. But, you know, it's really four and a half minutes right now. Let's say four minutes, 62 games is another 240 power play minutes. Uh, we'd expect him to get about 70, actually exactly 69, which is nice. Nice. Um, power play shots over the balance of the campaign. So... If he shoots not at the twenty three percent, he's him and him and Nils Hoaglander have really just like hijacked Andre Kuzmenko's uh, shooting percentage idol. <laughs> but uh, you know, not at the twenty three percent dizzying clip that he's finished to this point, but at his career rate of thirteen point three percent, which is somewhere you know between. Uh, what he's done in those years where everyone worried about his shot velocity and what he did in the flow years and then whatever he's done this year, right? Like 13.3 is kind of a baseline finishing clip for him. If he he finishes that clip, well, he'd had 21 goals. So you had 21 goals to 15, and you're at 36. And that's without a single bounce. That's like with regression to his career norms, the rest of the way factored in. Well, when I do that math and then consider, hey, this guy's also on the ice late. Mm. A lot because his line plays the toughs. Got those sweet empty net goals. He's, he already is tied for the lead league in, in empty netters with two, right? He could easily, and, and these are completely random. There's no, like, value in pretending we can project who's going to score empty netters. It's it's as random as it gets. But, um, except for the trio of Bo Horvat, Tanner Pearson, and Louis Erickson. Well, but that's a perfect example. Like, <laughs> then you knew it was coming. But, but what did what did Tan- Tanner Pearson have a 60-point season that year, roughly? Yeah. Like, would have if, if not for the pandemic? I mean, you know, that's the sort of thing we're talking about. Like, can can Brock Besser add four more empty net goals over the, last, or over the rest of the year? Like, with his usage, it's at least possible. And so, you know, I see a real case 
for Brock Besser to challenge for 40 goals, provided that he stays healthy. Uh, and, and I think he'll challenge for 40 goals without a single bounce. You know, if, if the bounces keep coming for him, and they sometimes do, you know, I do think 50's in reach, but I wouldn't bet on it. Like, no. I bet the under on, on 49 and a half. Um, I'd bet the under on 49 and a half, but man, I, I, I would be compelled to bet the, or at least would find it a compelling bet to bet the over on 39 and a half, given what Besser's accomplished so far and what his overall, you know, sort of peripheral scoring profile looks like to this point in the season. Uh, 650-650, this text comes in. Will we ever see Hronick separated from Hughes to see what his true value is for contract negotiations? Ooh. Well, you might see it. I think you probably will see it at some point, but it won't be as a contract negotiation tool, right? No. It will be because Rick Toggett has decided that that's what's best for the team. Look, I, I still think it's a fascinating question to see, like, what would Philip Ronick do, you know, alongside Ian Cole <laughs> w- on a second pairing? WW. Yeah. F. <laughs> Const- H. Const- constantly asking myself that. <laughs> um, no, obviously I live my life by uh, what would Rick Tockett do, as, as we've talked yeah, about. <laughs> the Rick time on the Rick Tockett plan. But, um, no, I think it's a, like, I think it's a really legitimate, fascinating question. And, again, look, if – if the coaching staff, and why wouldn't they right now, determines that the best thing for the team is keeping those two together, then you roll with it. But you would love to have the knowledge that, hey, if we have to, we can still get really good results from Hronick, even if he's not with Quinn Hughes. You'd love to see it at some point. Like, it would just, I, I think it would make it so much easier to commit long term if that's where those negotiations go, if you had that knowledge uh, in hand. For sure. Uh, you know, it's an interesting. It's an interesting framing, right? Like an interesting way to look at it. I, I, I think the fact is is that you want to see what Hironic can do on his own pair. I think you really do need to be careful about not... We've talked about this a lot, like the idea of Quinn Hughes being the sort of player that's going to get guys paid. Yep. And he already has, mm-hmm. right? And that's well and good. That can be an advantage for you if you can draft like the next Brandon Carlo. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, or next... it can be an advantage for you in UFA, right? Right. Like, hey, you like you totally. want a one-year one deal? Yeah. Um, well, you're going to play with Quinn Hughes, and then you know what's going to happen. You're going to have great stats, right? But it can be a disadvantage for you if you don't like if if you don't mind the possibility that you could be the guy to overpay um, Quinn Hughes's, Hughes's caddy. Partner. Hughes's yeah. caddy. Now, I think the Canucks are onto something with Heronic Hughes, right? I, I think there's some unique chemistry fits there. And that's part of what makes hockey so fun, right? Is like some, sometimes a guy becomes something else because of what they are cumulatively, um, you know, in, in a particular role. Uh, Alex Burroughs is our, obviously our favorite example. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think about like BXA Hughes, right? How all of a sudden Hughes was not just like a really reliable top four defenseman, but like a top four two-way stud and Kevin BXA at five on five anyway, because he didn't play a ton of power play, was all of a sudden this guy who, you know, like, people forget, but, like, this guy was, like, a top 25 on five defensive scorer, just logging huge minutes, leaving all of his opponents bruised, like, could do literally everything. So, you know, I sort of look at this and think there is some unique fit stuff going on with Hughes and Heronic that I'd be pretty reluctant to mess with. Um, you know, and that said, I'm I'm worried enough, like, you know, think about Vancouver's defensive depth tonight, right? Yep. Say you had to kill a game. 
and this is a this is a game Jeff Patterson brought up to me. We played it during the morning skate. You can choose one pair to kill the last 45 seconds of a game. Defensive zone shift. Okay. And these are the pairs that the Canucks rolled out at uh, at practice yesterday. McWard, Cole. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Juleson and Barros. Uh, oh, Hiros- sorry. Myers. No, Ju- Ju- it was no, Juleson Her- Friedman. Yeah, Juleson Friedman. Hiros- Hiros- Myers. I mean. I would choose McWard and Cole because it has Ian Cole on it. Right. So you choose Cole and McWard. I would choose Ian Cole. And then comes with McWard, but yeah. Right, okay, yeah. Because if you chose Cole McWard, yes. then you'd yes. need another defenseman. I would need another defenseman out there. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll wrap it up on that note. Yep. Thanks go. for listening. Enjoy the game tonight. We're back tomorrow with more Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650.